Hello and welcome to another episode of the Run Strong Podcast, episode 106. I hope you guys listened in last week to Jack Fleckney, really interesting guy who is doing a lot of extreme challenges out there, all for a very good cause. If you want a dose of motivation and an understanding of how you can make things pretty simple in life, go back to last week, have a listen, and then press play on this one. Today, we have a guest. Rob Jones will be joining me after I interview this guest. The guest's name today is Steve Fleck. And Steve, if you live over in the US, you may have heard of him. Steve is actually a race announcer. So these are the guys who stand all day on the finish lines, sometimes the start lines, with a microphone in their hand, and they get a very unique perspective on races. So Steve is coming on to talk basically all about racing, but not just sort of which race to enter and all the races going on around the world, but he's going to talk from a unique perspective of what he sees at the races and how important actually endurance races and endurance events are for the endurance community. So should be a really interesting chat. I hope you enjoy. If you have any questions for Steve, I will leave his details in the show notes or you can reach out to me. That is endurance at innerfight.com. Enjoy the show. Steve, welcome to the show. It is the morning for you, 7.30 a.m. Yes, indeed. Uh, local Toronto time uh, in North America. We just shifted uh, time to, uh, to from daylight saving time, which we do in the, in the summer, spring, summer and fall um, in parts of North America. And we've just shifted back to standard time. So, um, yeah. yeah, everything's been time shifted by about an hour. But glad to be with you uh, this morning for me, uh, late afternoon, early evening for you in Dubai. Exactly. We're just saying it's probably the worst time to schedule a podcast with uh, into Canadian time. I had Taryn on a few weeks ago and we had exactly the same problem. Couldn't figure out what time was what. In the end, I just go onto Google and, and put in the time zone calculator and, and make it clearly obvious. But yeah, it's quite an interesting, quite fun. I think something to do with like, I think you guys are pretty good at time zones because your country east to west has a different time zone, doesn't it? But the rest of the world, we're, we're always kind of just working country to country. Yeah, we've got we've got three main sort of time zones in in North America, Eastern, well, actually four, Eastern, uh, Central, Mountain and and West Coast. Like I'm working from sort of east to west from, say, New York City to San Francisco or in Canada from, um, you know, say Halifax, you know, in 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 the east to Vancouver like in the far west so yeah there's the countries are so big it's indicative of the, the yeah. geographic size of 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 a united states or uh, of canada far too many time zones anyway let's get chatting why don't you tell us steve who you are and what you're going to talk to us today about well thank you tom for having me on i'm uh, i'm a professional race and event announcer and commentator working pretty much exclusively in the endurance sports so uh, running cycling triathlon i do also do an extensive amount of work uh, in track and field uh, track cycling is another sort of area of specialty of mine um, i got into this work uh, full time maybe about six or seven uh, years ago i had been working predominantly in the sporting goods and sports business my last full-time gig was working with one of the online event registration companies about seven or eight years ago, stepped away from that. Um, and my race and event announcing and commentary work had started to pick up. And uh, that's what I have been concentrating on for the last seven or eight years, with the exception of the last year and a half. And we can get into that. Uh, everything was put on hold uh, and all live events all around the world 
uh, completely, completely shut down. And uh, I lost a year and a half of work and uh, an income, but it's coming back. We're, we're sort of in the comeback uh, mode right now. I've actually worked the last uh, eight weekends in a row. I've had 10 events uh, in the last uh, two months that I've worked. So we're on the comeback uh, trail, Tom. It's good. It's good to see. Good to feel. Good. I'm going to take you somewhere else than what you initially initially thought we were going to go to immediately. You just said you worked for like race organizer. So I'm assuming people who want to enter a race would have gone through you to enter the race, meaning that you're not the actual organizer. You're kind of the person that just gives out the, the sort of start line, you know, bibs and that sort of thing, if you like. How much the, the best races in the world you hear are the ones where you hear like the organizer like we work with a company called ultra x and the organizers you'll see them at the start and you'll see them at the end and you know clearly who they are and they really want to to help people and they and they really want to be out there with with the guys who are racing their race the worst races you hear about no one knows who's organizing it um you're just chucking money into it and you hope that you get everything through on the day and when you're trying to get hold of someone it it rarely happens but these can be some of the biggest races in the world. What did you see as your time in that as like what people quite aren't understanding about race organizers and what race organizers might not be understanding about people entering their races? Wow, lots to unpack there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where to begin. I probably the first thing is is a little funny anecdote I think about about human behavior. And that is when people show up at any kind of event, when they see the person with the microphone, you know, like in 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 their hand, they think that person is the CEO of of the whole yeah. of, the, of the entity going on. So so you get all the questions as the, as the race and event announcer. They always come to you, and this could be a small local uh, 10k, and it can run right on up to events the size and scale of an Ironman triathlon or a big city marathon. They see you with the microphone. And they're coming to you with the smallest of problems or the biggest of problems. So that's a funny little sort of anecdote about, I, I think it's just a human nature. They think that the person with the microphone is the most powerful person there. But generally speaking, I'm, I'm a hired contractor by my clients, the race and event organizers, to be the announcer on site at the start line, you know, at, at, at the finish line. Race and event organizers are all about what I say, cones and arrows. They're really really good um, logistics people. And you need that. I mean, you need the cones in the right places. You need the arrows pointing in the right direction, obviously for directional purposes, you need the right number of porta potties. That's a, that's a key essential, essential thing. Um, and, and part of my job, you know, on race day as the announcer is, is sort of stage managing all of that, letting people know where the porta potties are, letting them know about, you know, last minute changes to the race course or things they should look out for kind of safety, safety things. But the bigger part of what I do, what I believe uh, a really good race and event announcer brings, you know, to an event. I just uh, contributed to an article that the online event um, uh, online event registration company Race Roster uh, has done recently was the the value that a really good, you know, race announcer adds to the event and. And part of it is that information piece, like letting people know about the basics. Where is registration? Where are the porta potties? Where is the start line? Where is the finish line? Where can my my mom, you know, come and cheer me on? And you work, I work closely with you know my clients, the organizers, to come up with you know a plan to get that information out there. You're also a bit of a carnival barker, and you're contributing to the overall sort of experience of of the day. I mean, 
at most mid to large size events, Tom, there's about 15%, maybe 15, 20% at maximum who are there, you know, taking it pretty seriously. The vast majority of the rest of the people, with all due respect, they're there for a great time and to have a great experience. I like to remind race and event and, uh, announce, uh, organizers that they're not in the race and event management business, they're in the experience business. And this is a power, this is a super powerful thing and something they need to get over. They need to create sort of a really great and a powerful experience. And the announcer is a big part of that. You, you're the direct connection. I've already mentioned that connection in terms of you know, people seeking you out for little questions, but you're also part of that connection in terms of you're actually the voice and in some cases the face you know, of, of the organization. So having a good race and event announcer on site is, is of, of big value to events. Uh, they call it in the business, we call it sports presentation. And it's something that uh, some races events, a lot of races events take quite seriously. Uh, the bigger ones, obviously, like Ironman, the big city uh, marathons, they take it quite seriously. But a lot of midsize events, they, they don't really think of it as being an important element uh, to their racer event. Well, you've sold your own services super nicely there. <laughs> but I do agree. I think that is a, it is a key point um, that you probably don't notice when you don't notice it as much when the atmosphere is really, really good because you kind of expect that at a race but when an atmosphere at a race is really bad you notice it a lot and uh it's something that yeah like i gotta say iron man do it really really well with their announcers they they always seem to have a good like two normally two of them on the finish line and they get all the finish line crowd going and and i mean they're going all day i mean that is impressive to be to be doing that um and i haven't i mean i'm not have limited race experience over in over in the states or um in canada over your side but I think the sort of Americans and Canadians, they do it better because they like the, the big, loud, like celebrate everything kind of stuff. Whereas like in, in Europe, it's a little bit like, okay, yeah, you, you finished the race, you were expected to. <laughs> what, what do you want, a medal? Like that sort of thing. So it is very interesting. And I always think it's, it's more interesting for me nowadays to see which races people really enjoyed and why. And what is it that they pull out of the experience over sort of what their result was, if you know what I mean? Well, the story I like to share, Tom, is and, and this this is a bit of a, an, an amalgam of a couple of different stories, but it but it repeats itself at races and events that I work at over and over and over. So a number of years ago, I was working at a, at a large half iron distance triathlon, the Barrelman Triathlon, uh, produced by a client of mine, Multisport uh, Canada. Uh, and it's in Niagara Falls, famous, you know, famous site uh, in, in North America. And the last finisher was coming across the finish line. We knew who we knew who it was because the timing company process of elimination. We knew that that uh, woman who was still out on the course was the last one on the course. Everyone had gone home. I mean, the park where the, the finish line, there had been probably two, three thousand people there you know, when the race was at its peak, but they had pretty much all gone home. We had done the awards presentation and the podiums and everything, and everyone was packed up. The transition area was all shut down and, and, and starting to be packed up, but we kept the finish line up and the music going and the sound going. And there was this woman's uh, four or five friends of hers that were left sort of, you know, on the barricades, you know, at, at, at the finish line. So she came in and she comes into the, the final straightaway and I had a, 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 uh, a wireless microphone so I went out you know 100 meters out from the finish line with her and, and I can't remember what her name was Jenny and Jenny's coming in and I got her five friends you know to come around the fence and we all ran into the finish line together and 
I'm calling out Jenny's name and um, telling her, you know, what a great job she, she had done and how amazing she was. And she gets across the finish line and she gives me, of course, this was pre-COVID. Um, and she gives, she gives me a, a big, you know, sweaty hug. And she, she whispers in my ear, she goes, this was the best day of my life. And you, you can't, like, that's the mic drop moment right there. Like that, like, this is, this was the best day of her life. I don't know what her story was or, or what had transpired for her to train for this event or, you know, get through it, but it was the best day of her life. And that's what I'm getting back to the, the, the powerful and potent connection with experience that these endurance sports races and events can be. It could be a 5k, it could be a half Ironman, it could be a marathon. We don't know what it is for some people, you know, maybe four or five months ago, they were smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and were sitting on the couch, you know, eating Doritos all day long. And they've changed, changed their life around to become more physically active. And they've chosen a goal uh, of a racer event to come to. These racer events are very catalytic uh, for people. They are often that catalyst that gets them out the door to actually, to actually train, you know, for the event. So for Jenny coming across, you know, the finish line, you know, best day of her life. And that's, that really is the magic and the power of it all to me uh, and to those who work in, you know, in this business. And that's why I always try to convey to them, we work in the experience business. Yes, we're putting on races and events, but it's all about that experience. And we, we hope that, you know, they're, they're, they're potent and powerful and emotional as Jenny's was coming across that finish line. Yeah, that's amazing. It, it also brings us on to a really good uh, sort of segue. Listeners of the show will know I love a good segue into why you emailed to come on the show, actually, which was to talk about the power of racing and the power of events. And we probably didn't realize it until they were taken away, which if we can take people's minds back two years ago now, or maybe a little less, um, and, and coronavirus hit and all events all around the world suddenly stopped. You, you mentioned, mate, that you were out of work. Um, talk to me about your experience. What, what happened and how have you seen things develop as the races have started to open back up? Well, again, a lot to unpack there, Tom, a lot going on. Yes. I mean, back in March of 2020, the, the, the live events business, any kind of live events, a concert, a food festival, a running race, a bike festival, whatever, completely, completely shut down all around the world. And to your point, I don't think we really appreciated what we had till, till it was gone and it was gone for, you know, it varied around the world, but in, uh, in all uh, tents and purposes, it was basically shut down for at minimum, you know, a year, in some cases, a year and a half, and it started to come back some countries, a little bit, you know, sooner than others, um, not getting into sort of political, you know, judgments here about about the pandemic, just sort of observing things. I can speak for in Canada, we've been much more, you know, cautious and, you know, conservative about this, more in line with New Zealand and Australia, than say the United States or, or, or some countries in Europe, again, not passing judgment, just, you know, making an observation. So it's difficult to compare jurisdiction to jurisdiction in terms of where, you know, races and events are at, but they are coming back. And my one observation of working the last two months sort of in the comeback in, in North America at races and events in the US and in Canada is Tom, people have been like so joyous, so passionate, so excited to be back it's it, it's it's palpable either they're almost vibrating with, with with happiness and joy to be back doing this thing that they missed you know for you know for a year and a half and i've certainly seen it you know at the start lines you know and at the finish lines of the races and events that that i've been working at and and these are these are big events like we found in canada that 
the size, the scale and the scope of this industry was really poorly understood. Um, like in Canada, I only have, you know, hard data for Canada. Um, but, you know, say in the United States, typically numbers like this are 10 times, you know, bigger in the US. So in, just in Canada alone, uh, we estimated, and it was a pretty good accurate estimate because we work with online event registration companies and they have, they have the numbers. So in Canada in a typical year, there is, if you sum up all the running cycling and triathlon races and events in the country, there's two, almost two and a half million participants. There's about a billion dollars. These are Canadian dollars, uh, economic, uh, impact. And, and this is a big one. And this has often got people's attention, a billion dollars in charitable funds raised. Like most races and events in North America now, um, are associated with some kind of, of charity. They're either a standalone charitable fundraising event, uh, or it's a it's a big city marathon like the New York City Marathon or the Boston Marathon. I mean, they all have charities that they're uh, that they're raising money for, either uh, collectively or individually. So those are those are big numbers, and all of that went away for a whole year and a half. And the impact was was rather dramatic. The race and event management companies really struggled, you know, to keep keep the lights on and keep going. Um, the economic impact, of course, went away, that billion dollars in economic impact. And then the last one, the charitable fundraising just, just didn't happen. I know one, um, uh, a bike event in, in Ontario, uh, the Ride to Conquer Cancer, they normally raise about $20 million like in a, at their event in, in, a, in a, a given year. It's one of the largest, uh, most successful uh, charitable fundraising endurance sports uh, events in, in the country. And they went virtual, and that's what that was the pivot that a lot of these uh, events and races did. They went virtual, as you know, but they only raised about five million dollars. So you know that's that's a, a fraction of what they would raise in in a given year. I know I'm, I'm I'm rambling on and on, but to answer your question, the shutdown was dramatic. There was major impacts. People are are super joyous and excited, you know, to be back doing this. I had never thought of the the charitable donations being uh, a sort of victim, if you like, of it. That's absolutely nuts. Twenty billion, yeah. uh, twenty million dollars, was it? Yeah, for that one event, just one event, uh, Ride to Conquer Cancer in in Southern Ontario, uh, twenty million dollars annually raised for the Princess Margaret uh, Cancer Foundation uh, of of the Princess Margaret Hospital in in Toronto. Amazing. So, like, it it's then quite cool to think of what running or endurance sport does for the world. Oh, it's, it's, it's dramatic. I mean, you think about all the, and we tried to get this across in the lobbying we were doing with various, you know, governments across, you know, the country. We, we talked about the charitable fundraising. We talked, I, and I mentioned the catalytic um, moment that people decide these races and events are often the thing that get people off the couch to get them more physically active, to take charge of their, um, you know, of their health. Uh, and then of course the ongoing, you know, benefits of, of being healthier, being more physically fit. I mean, the downstream benefits are, are, are massive and, and, and huge. So it's, it's tied up in, and the mental health too. That's the, that's the other thing I, I forgot to mention and mental health. I mean, people who are more physically active, people who have a goal to train for something, what, whether it's a 5k or a marathon or an Ironman, whatever it is, generally speaking, those people are, of better mental health than the average the average person. I'm speaking very generally here and painting mm. with a broad brush. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So, uh, yeah. but but on average, you you know that that 
when you have a goal like that and you're working towards it, you feel better about yourself mentally and physically. Yeah. Steve, we, we ran a bit of a message through the, the pandemic here in a fight endurance and we kind of went with, well, actually you don't need the races like, okay, the races is, is nice. It's something in the calendar. You compete against other people, but we were like, as a team of coaches, we were like, well, they're not going to be on. So let's not like, why are we dwelling around? Oh, I missed the race. We kind of just said, you don't need them. And a lot of the time we put on our own kind of, we, we did our own uh, marathon at the start of the year because Dubai marathon didn't run. Um, we've done a few other things that we've kind of just said, forget the race. We'll have our own start line and our own finish line. And we really just said, you know, it's not about the race. It's about you challenging what you believe you can do. But now that that fades off. You know what I mean? Like people can do one or two things like that, but then motivation kind of sails. And maybe or not, like rightly or wrongly, it, it happens. What do you think to people? Let's say when races got stopped, they stopped sport. Like they stopped, they didn't bother training. They didn't bother like living a healthier lifestyle. They just said, oh, it's over. Then I'm going to stop. Races start to come back on now and people are starting to enter and they're starting to live healthier again. They're starting to pick up training again. What would you say those people need to think about whether they actually are motivated to be endurance athletes or not? Wow. Again, a lot to unpack there, Tom. Um, the, <laughs> The, the pivot for the industry, and I mentioned this previously, was the creation of these virtual sort of races and events. And, and you know, a lot of, um, you know, the best minds in the endurance sports race and events business, I can't speak for elsewhere in the world, but, I, but in Canada and the U.S., they really worked on this really hard. And it was a bit of a revelation. But the problem with the virtual events, and, and you kind of hinted at, at that, is, is they have a rel relatively short shelf life. Like if you do a, a virtual event, once you do the virtual Boston marathon once, are you going to do the, the virtual Boston marathon a second time? Maybe not. You want to go do the real Boston marathon. I'm, I'm, I'm just, Boston was the, the event that just came, you know, came into mind. So, um, so virtual was good. It was, it was a stopgap, but it's also a win because now maybe not the Boston marathon, but some other, you know, racer event, some 10 K that runs in, you know, Cincinnati or, you know, some city like that they ran their virtual race and they found little pockets of interest based on the particular attraction of their event or maybe their charity. People who would normally just, you know, maybe come to the racer event within a catchment area of an hour, say an hour drive to do that 10K in Cincinnati, you know, on morning X. Well, they found some people, a whole bunch of people in San Francisco that are interested in their event or, or elsewhere, or maybe in Dubai, like some places around the world. I, I've been hosting conferences um, you know, for my clients, like virtual conferences that normally would have been in, in real life. And you're only, you know, it's people coming from within a drive, but we've had people tuning in from all over the world, you know, with, so virtual, I think virtual will go on and it will play a role, but the bottom line is humans like to get together, like human to human. We like to be in the same place, you know, as other, as our, our fellow human beings. And so that congregation, you know, that coming together is always going to be, I think the most potent, you know, driving force, as I said, virtual will go on and it's a, it's a nice adjunct to, to in real life or I R L events, but, but, you know, we, we need to get together. Like the real Boston marathon is, is better than the virtual Boston marathon. 
it kind of comes back to atmosphere again. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's about it's about the, the the theater of it all, like being you know being in Hopkinton at the start, being on Boylston Street, you know, at the finish, whatever. I mean, it could be any 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 racer event. I'm just I'm picking Boston because it was a few weeks ago and it's sort of top of mind. But it's the theater and and the atmosphere of that electric sort of situation in that environment um, mm. that humans humans like to be in. You can say the same thing about, you know, live music, for example. I mean, we could listen, we could listen to the virtual concert, you know, by yeah. the artist, you know, streamed over, you know, the internet or through Zoom or, you know, whatever, whatever platform they're going to use. But yeah. I mean, we want to be in the theater. We want to be, you know, there watching the event live with the yeah. artist in front of us. Yeah. I'm smiling because you you are giving that such different perspective that yeah as as coaches and got to say as, as a very sort of analytic coach and a and an, a quite an analytic athlete um it's just not something i think about because yeah. I, to me you're like why are you racing to get a time okay then let's go race and do a time but like where you're coming from is exactly right like we could you can listen to any song in the world whenever you want but people still go to concerts because it's about it's about belonging and being part of a, a group and things so that's a really interesting take, actually. Um, I want to ask you a bit more around not so much virtual events, but in the recent years, we've seen triathlon grow and grow and grow as its coverage has gone live on Facebook, as we've seen things like the Super League triathlon, as we've seen different race formats come into play. Running is, <laughs> pardon the pun, running is standing still. Um, there's, like, I, so immediately right now, off the top of my head, I'm thinking, like, why don't they get the best marathoners in the world to do like a relay marathon? Why aren't they doing um, like circuit style races, more city style races? There are a few out there, but they're not, they're not popping, you know, they're not growing and growing and growing. Um, you've still got the five majors, but no one wants to watch them all. Like you're not going to sit there for two and a bit hours watching. Where do you see running going and how are they going to make running more sort of, yeah. How are they going to make running fun to watch? Well, I think we need to go backwards a bit to go to go forwards there, Tom, on that point. So so all the, the main endurance sports, running, cycling, triathlon, there had been ups and downs sort of around the world. But I think generally speaking, things peaked in the mid uh, 2010. So 2013, 2014 were kind of peak, peak years for uh, total participation. And these are races. I, you know, I can't you, the people who aren't pinning on a bib number, you have you have no you don't know. But at least in terms of you know race races race participation, we know those numbers because the online event registration companies have the data. So those numbers peaked in the mid 2010s for I think all three of the main endurance sports: running, cycling, you know, and triathlon. Running's been fairly flat. You know, it's like in North America and you know in Canada, the numbers have been up one percent, down percent. Cycling and and triathlon, in terms of their trend, have actually been down. Yeah, not substantially, but but a moderate amount, I'd say over the last five to 10 years. So now we come to the pandemic and what did the pandemic do? Well, obviously it's it shut down all the races and events as, as, as we've talked about. But behind the scenes, what we've actually seen is we've seen uh, a significant uptick in people actually doing, maybe not swimming, but, but doing, you know, running and cycling. And um, uh, there was some interesting Nielsen numbers that came out of... Uh, uh, a world athletics uh, a seminar webinar that I attended a, a few weeks ago that I'm going to get to in a second. So what 
So what I've been doing when I've been on start lines uh, for the last uh, two months, these 10 races and events that I've worked in the last two months, and some of them have been small, they've only been 200 people, but some of them have been quite large. Calgary Marathon had 5,000 people, uh, Sea Otter Classic, you know, multiple thousands of you know, people at the Sea Otter Classic. So I've been asking people, I said, so how many are with us today pinning a bib number on for the very first time? And on average, I'd say 10 to 15% of the people in those start corrals were putting up their hand for the first time. That's wow. great news. Yeah. Now, getting back to the Nielsen, the Nielsen data. So this was for running. This didn't, didn't include, and it was World Athletics, you know, looking at their sort of uh, road running uh, community. The, the Nielsen numbers, uh, Nielsen does, you know, worldwide data and research, as, as many of you out there would know. And they found out and determined that, that we have right now about 13% of new runners out there. So my anecdotal sort of data kind of lines up with that. Not that I'm any great statistician or, or compiler of data. I was just asking people to put their hands up. But I think when we get to the other side of this, Tom, when we fully get through the pandemic and we're kind of you know back to normal, I think we're going to see a nice little bump up. So in numbers, so that that addresses your like where is participation going on the um, interest and excitement front in terms of the broadcast for for marathons than the world majors. Tony Revis uh, wrote an interesting column. Uh, Tony's a, a longtime sort of uh, analyst commentator uh, in marathon in road running and track and field in the US. And he, he wrote an interesting column. He said, they have to do away with these, with these paced you know, races, let the runners run, you know, forget the pacers, forget about time, just make it a race from, from the start to the finish. And my, my comparison to that, because I'm also, I work deeply in, in the world of, of, of cycling as well, is that's what bike racing is about. They don't care about the time in a bike race or how long yeah. how long the race is. It's it's who gets their wheel across, you know, the finish line first. That's it. Full stop. That's all you're that's all you're concerned about. And you're you're watching, you're riveted to the coverage because you don't know. You literally don't know like who is going to win the race. Now, the terrain sometimes, you know, dictates is it a sprinter's race? Is it a climber's race? Is it an all-round racer's race? That's that's getting into the minutiae of of, of high-end cycling. But Tony's point like with world majors marathon running was dead on. I mean, these paced races are, are, are super boring. They have them on flat courses. The pacers run out, everyone sort of streams and falls off the back. And then, you know, the, the big favorites come through and Eliad Kipchoge, you know, wins another marathon in some ridiculous time. I, with all due respect to, to the greatest of all time, <laughs> but, but you, you, you know, where I, you get my point, you're laughing, Tom. So you get my point of what I'm, I'm talking about. If they didn't have the Pacers and we saw this at the, you know, the Olympic games, it's a very different race. Like that Olympic marathon. Yes. They didn't run super fast, but it was super fascinating to watch. And when Kipchoge like really went to the gas pedal, it was game over, mm. you know, in Tokyo, but it was interesting to watch up until that point. It was super interesting. Cause you didn't know. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Kipchoge gets a cramp or whatnot. I mean, he had a disastrous race at the London Marathon, you know, earlier in the year. Was that it was his only real disaster? And 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 even in his mind, I think he was a bit nervous. Is this going to go well for me? I've never compared cycling races to running races, actually, and it's madness. Like the cycling, they work as a team. It's very exciting. You have a sprinter in the team. You have the climbers. You have the domestiques, yeah. and then the runners. They are all coming out the same camp, but they're all running against each other. 
Yeah, that, I mean, it's very it, interesting. It's the drafting. The, the the big thing there, Tom, if you know cycling, is is the drafting, and that yeah, that, that really dictates the dynamics massively in terms of what goes on in cycling. Because when you're you're sitting behind another rider, it's thirty percent like less yeah, effort. Yeah, yeah. So that's massive. I mean, yes, there's a bit of an effect in in running. I think it's they've measured it. It's it's at its most, it's ten percent, but I think it's more closer to five percent seven percent when you're sitting behind someone so it is it is measurable it is significant i mean that is significant in a in a fast marathon five to seven percent is is really significant and it's the going it's the running for the bottles you know you could have people flying off up the road in the first 10k to make sure that they get the best bottles or they get you know whatever it is the kit handed over it would be so interesting that's really made me think No, but I, I I agree with you. I mean, they could make it more. They could make it more interesting. There's things to do, but uh, you know, like a lot of things with with high end sport, it tends to be tradition bound. Like we've done it this way for 30 years. We'll just keep we'll just keep doing it this way, and hopefully viewers will keep um, you know tuning in. But I I think that a lot of people are tuning out. I mean, I'm a fanatic fan, but I mean, even I didn't you know I didn't even bother watching you know with all due respect, I didn't bother watching the box. I think I was working, but, um, on that day, but you know, I didn't watch Boston. Um, but you know, could they make it more, could they make it more interesting? Yeah. There's certain things I think they could do if they got away from, you know, so many traditions of the way these races, the way these races are, are, are run, you know, could it be teams? Could it be, you know, different, you know, preems for, prizing for certain get to certain point on the course you know but again you're really going to have to break with a lot of hidebound traditions to you know to do something like that brilliant steve we've covered the damage the pandemic did which i think is is huge and and i think a lot of people don't know just quite how big that impact has been but certainly on charitable donations uh we've covered motivation of why you would want to go to a race, which I think is also brilliant. It's a, it's a great point of view that I hadn't thought of. And, uh, and now we've fixed running broadcasting. <laughs> we have, we've, we've solved all the problems uh, and the challenges. Solved it all. <laughs> brilliant. Steve, is there anything else you wanted to, to share to the listeners today? No, just uh, thank you for having me on, Tom. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over the moon about, you know, where we at and I'm, I'm sounding like a bit of a, a broken record. I, I, I think we're, we're through the worst of, of the pandemic sort of thing, you know, fingers crossed and races and events are starting to happen again. People are really, uh, people are really happy and ecstatic, um, you know, to being back, you know, doing what they're doing. The one thing we didn't talk about, and I thought, I thought you might bring up was the talking about, you know, high end performances in, in road running and track and field was just the bonkers, crazy performances we've seen like over the last year during the pandemic like actually yeah. when the pandemic was was going on and I, I i do have some thoughts some some thoughts on those if, if you want to extend the, the conversation a little bit because i i cover Absolutely. both ends of the, i cover both ends of the spectrum i do a lot of mass participation stuff but i also cover a lot of high-end uh track and field and um professional cycling as well and some of those performances we've seen uh you know have been absolutely nuts in the last yeah. year yeah Give us your give us your top three. Um, well, just generally speaking, I mean, I, there's a lot of talk about the shoes, you know, with the road running, and I think the shoes are are, are a contributing factor. But if if we get away from you know the, the the shoes and you know the the darker side with the with the doping, I've talked to a lot of top 
um, you know, exercise physiologists in the last year. And some of the great performances we've seen in endurance sports, whether it's in running, track and field, cycling, or, or triathlon, is the fact that the athletes, it was a very different year for them last year. If you look at the, the, the sort of those elite level athletes, their normal year is, you know, train a little bit, you know, travel to a race, travel back home, train a little bit, travel to do some sponsor commitments, travel back home, um, yeah. you know, yeah. more training, maybe a little niggling little injury, got to take some downtime, build back up another race. You see what I mean? Like the whole mm. year is kind of stop start. Whereas for a lot of these athletes in, in the lead up to some of the, you know, the big city marathons or the Olympic games or, or world championships in, in, in their particular discipline and sport, it was 10, 12 months of just steady training. And mm. in some cases, it wasn't all out training. It was just training at that right amount and no, no downtime and no sort of, you know, riding that roller coaster of, of, of fitness and training, coming back, you know, trying to get back, got to make this standard, et cetera, et cetera. They just simply focused, you know, on, on the training close to home and, and the performances speak for them speak for themselves. And there is some research that's starting to, to look into that. They're looking at training logs, you know, of some of the top uh, runners uh, and other endurance sports athletes in the world from 20 uh, and 2021 and looking at how those logs match up to what the performances yielded, you know, for them. I know in Canada, I mean, we had going into the Olympic games. I mean, we, we had Canada had in the middle distance and the long distance, you know, running, we had our best, like Olympic games ever. And a lot of the athletes had only raced like once or twice, like literally in, or a handful of times in the last year. So the, I know some of the top uh, sports physiologists in the country, they're starting to dive into training logs and look into this in terms of matching up how our athletes had trained in the last year and then how they did it at say the Olympic games in, in Tokyo last summer. That is very interesting as well. I mean, like very good to see that data and what they're saying but i think like you said it's probably the lack of travel the lack of commitments that help them to just freshen right up and also the mm -hmm. controlled like they're able to control more yep. of their controllables yes 100 i'm going to finish with one more question for you and it's going to be one i hope you can i think you're going to be able to describe it really really well what is your favorite ever finish line moment well i I think I described it already that um, and that that was an amalgam of, of several different finish lines, but that, that emotion with the last finisher, you know, coming across for me is always the hair is kind of standing up on the back of my neck right now. Just, you know, even thinking about that moment, because it is a special moment for that ind individual um, person. Um, some of the other ones are, are, you know, tend to be more high performance. I do, I do a lot of announcing and commentary at the, you know, the high end. Um, and when we see, you know, Canadian performances that are, that are great sort of, you know, on the world scene and, you know, I'm on the microphone doing that. That's, that's a high point for me. Uh, we had a finish at the Canadian hundred meter championships uh, a few years back. Andre de Grasse is our, is our, uh, you know, people who follow track and field will know that Andre is, you know, he's one of the top you know, sprinters in the world, um, won the 200 meters in, in Tokyo, uh, medalist in, in, in the hundred meter. He's been, probably the best 100 200 man uh over the course of the last five years at the last two olympic games and world championships um we had a we we had a 100 meter final you know at the canadian championships i think i think it was going into the last olympic Games, so it would have been going into the rio 
Olympic games where Andre actually finished third and we had seven men across the finish line in less than a tenth of a second. I mean, that to me, when you're when you're calling a race like that live in a stadium or doing the commentary on, on, on a live stream, like it's just it's electrifying and you literally don't know what happened. It had to go to a photo finish and they took two or three minutes to sort out, you know, sort sort out the photo. I mean, that to me is is about as dramatic as it gets. And it, you know, it wasn't a world record. It wasn't um, it wasn't the fastest race in you know in, in in Canada that year, but it's the level of competition, you know, runner to runner, athlete to athlete, you know, coming across the finish line. Those are high points, you know, for me. And and doing the high end stuff as as I do, you know, that's you know that that is the most thrilling to me. And then the other one, Tom, is I had the the tremendous opportunity just prior to the. Um, uh, the pandemic of doing the live stream commentary for the the UCI para track cycling world championships. I know this is a little away from your uh, wheelhouse, but but the, the high level message is the same is I hadn't watched sort of para sport or done commentary on para sport at that level before. My mind was absolutely blown like watching these men and women you know compete at that level in para sport on bicycles you, you watching them race like you like you just I, I can't even comprehend it like it, it had to have been seen to be believed how like there was a man he's a Spanish rider forgotten his name he has no leg on one side and no arm on the other and he's able to sprint out of the saddle on a bike like I just try and go out on your road and try and ride you know out of the saddle on your bike with one arm and I, and then you will see the challenge of this. And, and I was just like mind blown by, by the level of performance, the level of skill, the determination, you know, of these para track cycling athletes. It was simply extraordinary. That, that was, you know, another big highlight for me. Brilliant. Yeah. We've, well, we have a, a guy in our community called Sebastian, who is a, a para triathlete and he motivates and inspires everybody weekly by what he manages to do. It's incredible. Steve, that's it. Thank you very much. Go enjoy the rest of your day. And yeah, thank you again for coming on and sharing that. I think people have got a really good different perspective on what races are doing for the endurance community and hopefully motivate people to get back into races. Don't be scared. Get out there. Enjoy the atmosphere. That's the key thing. And, uh, and yeah, give the race announcer a nice high five as you cross the finish line. Keep you guys happy. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, mate. Rob Jones is here. I'm back. Hi. <laughs> Mate, Steve just called you out for cheating for your Movember. I know, harsh. And then, but I'm glad to see that you cut him off before he could finish his sentence and kicked him out Mate, of the group. People don't still, two years on, and people still don't know how to get out of Zoom. So I just kick him out. I know. And then I don't report them. That's not <laughs> nice to report them. Mate, how's the tash? It, you, you, you didn't make the interview because you were growing it. Is that correct? I, I was, I was, I was going. I was actually uh, making beans on toast for Hannah. Ah, we had a, we had a double, we had a, 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 well, we double booked our call, hadn't we? Because you decided to reset your laptop. Yeah, that was a bit of a problem. Um, that was a great show, actually, or a great interview. It gave some really unique perspective, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. So you actually go and listen, and then you'll, you'll, we'll get two listeners this week. Well, I actually, I caught the last ten minutes, and I'm you really, did. really gutted I missed it. We do these evening shows because we're doing this on an evening and then I have to go try and switch off and my brain runs at 10,000 mile an hour now for the next two hours thinking of well, why running isn't as good as cycling. 
I, I have a page of notes I've made from just him talking there and listening already for I, the last 15 minutes of things I want to like talk about and ask and just thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Well, I certainly think we can have some more fun with, with our runners as in a sort of local events, um, event fun, community building stuff. Definitely. Let's see what we can come up with. Mate, we've got a question this week that I wanted to get you on, get your thoughts yeah. on for. Do you remember our, one of our listeners called sad.z? I do. I do. Yeah, well, it's been a while since he wrote in, but he, he messaged yeah. a question in. He messaged me the other day. Did he? Actually, because I put something, um, he messaged me. It was actually being very complimentary about the podcast and saying how much information he had from it, which ah. is fantastic to hear interesting well his question question. i'll cut it short he now lives in sydney he moved there in uh, in 2020 and he's now had to come back over i don't know why but to uh islamabad pakistan for i think it's a holiday and he's trying to run and the air pollution there is so bad that he actually he finds he can't run in it so he wants to know what's some alternative ways of getting run fitness when you can't run outside Ah, and he said you might it might be that you're in a sandstorm and actually today we had a sandstorm so he's not just being sort of saying it's air pollution it could just be when there's sand or dust or whatever the fires if you live over in america the obvious one is a jump on a treadmill isn't it that is the obvious one mate yes i knew you'd take that one (laughs) you asked me first (laughs) On the spot, it's a good question, actually. So, well, first thing is, if you have a real session to do, you can jump on the treadmill. That's you the can. answer, though. Um, we also did a little bit of this in lockdown, banded running we indoors. Did. Yeah. It's, it's do we not... still have a video of Instagram, on Instagram oh, for that? Probably. Probably. Warm your calves up is number one key for band running. Um, but also, I'd say, if you know what kind of run session you have to do, you can get a very similar effect using another piece of cardiovascular equipment mm-hmm. let's say a rower cross trainer bike which can all be indoors swimming um, as well swimming if it's something like a sprint session then you could run upstairs yeah like you just got to try and figure out what it is you want from that run and then and then try and get it the same as same intensity on a different modality then i thought of some out, outside the box answers well, do you know what? I've just, I remember at the very start of lockdown, I, when we were allowed to just, well, when we were just allowed to start running, we had to run with masks on. And then the rules changed and we were allowed to wear masks down. So I have actually gone out and run. And it was very hot, to be fair, with a mask on. And it was, oh, it was, it was horrific. But because I hadn't run in so long, it felt incredible. That was my, that was going to be what I was going to say. Oh, really? Uh, a mask. Yeah. The the training masks were sold as being um be able to mimic elevation. Incorrect. It, yeah. However, it will make you a stronger breather yeah. and also can train your respiratory system. And I do believe they can filter a little bit of air as well. So that that could be an option, but you'd have to bring intensity right down. Don't go do a track session in a mask. <laughs> no, it was definitely aerobic running I was doing in a mask. Yeah. So th- there's your outside the box option. And then the last ridiculous option would be to wear like a diver's helmet. There is, I believe actually somebody did the London marathon in a full diving suit one year and it took him three or four days. So you're not going to set any PBs, 
you might get some funny looks, but you might get some good media coverage. And at worst case, you'll get a couple of new Instagram followers. Yep, correct. There's always a way. Always a way. Good. Mate, I am going to Kenya next week to run with Kipchoge. Oh, oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, I don't know why you're not coming. I know exactly why I'm not coming because my mum is deciding to come and visit me for the first time in five years. <laughs> I had to make the one week that I could have gone to Kenya. Thanks, mum. I'm in... not that I, I, I do love my mum, but she does pick her time. <laughs> well, I'm going to go eat Ugali with, with uh, Elliot and tell him that Steve Fleck doesn't like him. Um, Steve mentioned today you found him boring, but that's fine. Um, yeah, so next week, who knows what the podcast is going to be next week. It, it could be me just, just chatting to Kipchoge or maybe Brother Colm. It could be me, Marcus, and Skinny sat in a hut talking about how we just got rinsed on our first day of trying to run with the Kenyans. Well, this is another reason why I'm actually quite glad I'm not coming because originally, you know when the, you invite the weak link, and originally ever, we'd invited Clarky, who doesn't run because he'll get <laughs> dropped first. And then, <laughs> and then Clarky pulled out, so I was like, oh, shit, that man's going to be me. I'm going to be the guy that's going to get dropped. How am I going to play this? And no, I'm not going. So I think <laughs> it's a fight for who's going to be. Marcus is going to get dropped first, isn't he? But he's so tall, he can get away with it. Well, you're now speaking to the weak link right here. But um, <laughs> but I'm going to definitely wear carbon shoes for everything. Yeah. And as long as I win the warm-up, then life's good. That's it. <laughs> no problem. So next week could be an interesting show and then we are we've got a few announcements to make mate haven't we but we're not going to make them on this show you've got to listen to the future shows yes easy that's it we'll be back next week may not be at the usual time may not be in the usual place but we will be we will deliver something to your ears hopefully it's based around kenyan running and then the week after we'll be back and then mate you're getting ready to go on your holidays yeah actually we'll need to a marathon show won't we just thinking between there's a marathon. The week you're back, we're going to do a post-marathon marathon show. I've there we go. There I might go. get my mate Kipchoge on. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, guys. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week. Take care.